Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Take it away, Wilhelmina Shrimpton. Okay, well this is a bit exciting, turning the microphone on yourself. Mm. Having had this experience just before, well, what was it? A few months ago now. It was December, I was listening to it yesterday, and we were both going, wow, Pfizer have just released the vaccine in the UK, and they think that they might be doing vaccines by the end of December. There you oh go. Oh well look how far we've come. Yeah, I know, exactly. And hopefully yeah. by July. Um, ah, yes. The average population will mm -hmm. get the jab, finally. And the next time I speak to you and the next time we do a record, we'll all be vaccinated and yes. we'll be travelling again and yes. doing amazing things. Hopefully we'll be able to do a Zoom call, you in Vegas and me somewhere else. Who oh, knows? Yep. Amazing. Yep. Well, I've written you a sassy little intro because I'm just like that. I'm a bit of a okay. bird. I'm a right. bit of a Okay, go on. By day, he's Constable Brian Ward. And by, oh, well, also day, he's the man behind Brian and Bobby and this wonderful podcast you're listening to right now. He's interviewed a whole range of inspiring Kiwis over the years, and today is the day when we get to turn the microphone back on him. There's a whole bunch of questions from some of your listeners around the country and overseas, but I'm also going to fire a few of my own at you. Yes, those are the ones I'm more worried about than anything. Yeah. Buckle up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. still got my seatbelt on. Yeah, that's all good. I'm parked, so it's good, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of fire, just like you started with me, we're going with quick fire. Go. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. All righty, quick fire. Morning or night? Uh, either or. The beauty of shift week. Yeah. I can switch on and switch off. Uh, so I get up in the morning for jujitsu at 20 past 5. Uh, but that said, I am quite happy staying up until sort of 3, 4 a.m. and then some. So, yeah. So dusk and dawn as well. Yeah, yeah, pretty morning, much. Morning, night, dusk and yeah. dawn. Yeah, I do actually sleep though, just in case you're wondering. Oh, good. You're yeah. not a vampire. No, no, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> despite my lovely Irish complexion, just quietly, oh. yeah. <laughs> Start of the sun. Um, chocolate or vanilla? Oh, definitely chocolate. Yeah, agreed. Yep. Summer or winter? Winter. Every oh, time. Controversial. Yeah, yeah. Now, if the rain is smashing, the thunder is hitting, the lightning is... I'm the type of clown that will turn around to my wife and say, let's go for a walk. And she's like, I know that you're half Irish. My mum's Irish. But she said, you should be Scottish because nobody else enjoys this type of weather. I love it. Yeah, if it's hammering it down. I'll be out. Are you a skier or a snowboarder? Neither. Check that out. Yeah, I've been to Canada plenty of times. I just find it mundane. I don't know why. I don't... Oh. Yeah, I've got to have some type of physical contact. I think that's possibly the reason I watch ice hockey. Right. And no, I can't ice skate either. So maybe you're a storm chaser. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Apres skis, yeah. bunny. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your first job? Ooh. Uh, working in a cafe. There you go. Yeah. Good coffees. Them, yeah. Oh, how do we rate these ones? I don't, I actually, to be fair, yeah, I actually didn't make coffees. I just did like sandwiches and all that type of stuff. So, yeah. And it was, uh, what was it? It was for a friend of family and it was sort of an after school job. So that nice. was it. Yeah. My husband did that too. So yeah. There you go. Right. And you just met him. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a smorgasbord one day, I'm sure. Yeah. I know. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Uh, probably Canada, I've got to say. Got to be honest. Because you like winter. Uh, yeah, I like winter and uh, probably somewhere in Alberta. Yep. Nice. So, sorry, all my friends from Toronto. <laughs> What's your hidden talent? Ooh, I, do, oh, I don't. I'm like you. Um, I don't have any shame. So you can say yes, to me, thank yeah, you. you can say to me, hey, I want you to do this. And I'll be like, yeah, okay, I can, I can do that. Um, that whole thing about... Um, Oh, you know, I'd I'd much rather be dead than public publicly speak. I have I've always sat there and scratched my head and go, "What's wrong with You'd public speaking?" Be dead, not public yeah, speaking. yeah, I'm like, yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm happy. You can get me up and tell me to do anything. Um, yeah, easy, no problem. No, nice. Do you have a party trick? Do I have a party trick? Uh, Spoonwalking. Oh yeah, there yeah, you go. And yeah. Headstands. Yeah, I used to drink. <laughs> the yolk of raw eggs in front of people oh, yeah exactly oh, no. just to get that reaction um i've got the moving thumb and a few other bits and pieces so oh, yeah cool. yeah nice. there you go. i'll yep. see you at the next the next party i'm coming up to you and i'll be like i want to see the moving thumb yep. you shot back at yeah yeah that's all right <laughs> easy yep no worries. um who would be your number one dinner guest dead or alive oh, i think uh let me think it's Probably, I'm going to say a couple, but I'll, I'll just give you one. I think probably the Dalai Lama. Nice. Yeah, just 
because I think we're sort of maybe the same flavour. Nice. Yeah. Very, yeah. very peaceful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same haircut. <laughs> yeah. Twenties. Yeah, and I like 20s. orange as well, so oh, that's perfect. it's a win-win. Oh, yeah. Nice, yeah. nice. Um, Skywalker or Darth Vader? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> believe it or not, Darth Vader. I always like the bad guys. The bad guys have got, and I've heard this from lots of people. Bad guys have got much more interesting backstories. It's like when I used to do plays and stuff at school, and I always used to say it was much more fun playing the bad guy. Yep. Yeah. Can you do the? No, I can't. No, and I'm about yeah, I'm about three and a half foot too, too short for Darth Vader as well. So it's probably more like R two D two to be fair. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, again, this is all. This is another Star Wars related one. Who would win in a fight? Oh, Star Wars kind of related. Boba Fett or Terminator T one? You know what? I'm gonna have to go with Boba Fett just because I'm a Star Wars fan nice when i was you were what you probably weren't even on the planet but in 77 when i went with my mum and dad my dad and i actually went back 13 times to see star wars of the pictures yeah yeah so dedicated fandom right there yeah yeah it's uh eased off a little bit as i've gotten older and i look at other people who are star wars fans and i'm like there's a line between fan and obsession Yep. Sorry, all those people I've just offended. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Carry on. Um, same question, but Keanu or Chuck Norris? Oh, um, the martial artist to me is Chuck Norris because he's got lots more um, experience and everything else. But he's eighty now, mm. and to be fair, Keanu's probably yeah got it on him. So yeah, Keanu. Nice. Yep. If you could have one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Boring mashed potatoes, baked beans, and sausages. Stop it. Yeah, that's me. Breakfast of champions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Breakfast for dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Why well, have one when you can have three in a day? So yeah. <laughs> Done. What's your favourite drink? Ooh, um, I'm going to say. Let me think. Uh, probably coffee. Well, cheers. Cheers. Yep. Yep. Definitely coffee. And lastly, the most important one, and this is very, very, very quick fire. Who's your favourite TV presenter? Uh, have you seen on TV3 on Thursday nights and Friday nights, there's sometimes a girl there, although they, what happens is they keep pushing her times back the length of the movies that are on. Oh, so sometimes I'm staying up and sometimes I'm not. And I'm like, yeah, she, no, she's not there tonight. So yeah, yeah you know her. Yeah. Can't oh, remember yeah, her name. Yeah. Heard of her. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Got a podcast out yeah, as well yeah, now. Yeah, that's like it. That. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yep. That was quick fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, getting into the the other more in depth questions. Mm, yeah. First of all, um, you obviously told us what your first job was. Mm-hmm. But when did you get into policing, and why did you get into policing? Uh, I got into policing. Have you seen Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yes. Yeah. Right. People look at Jake Peralta and then look at me and go, "Oh my goodness, it's almost like the same, same stupid pranks." Yep. Uh, loves Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Thinks Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yes, all of the above. Um, so Most people do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, so I got into policing when I I left Teachers College, and I basically thought um, I want to go policing. I went out on night shift as you could do in those days with a police for a couple of shifts, and I was like, "This is me." Um, I then got a job in a record slash CD store as they were in those days. Um, I stayed there for a couple of years because the concerts and the records and everything else were amazing. You know, you're in the media industry. Um, and then um, I decided, right, it's time to get into it. So at the age of 25, I went down to Porirua and did my study down there and graduated, came straight out of there and then went to Counties Manukau. Nice. Yeah. And how old were you then? 26 when I graduated. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And what were your first thoughts? I know you said you were in this ride along that you went on a couple of shifts. Yep. And um, I've been on a few of those myself. Yep. In a media capacity. Um, were, were there kind of any call-outs or did anything happen that really kind of flicked a switch in you and, and made you go, yeah, this is actually, this is this is really, really me? Was there a moment where, I mean, I know one of our old camera crew, actually, he left TV3 and went into policing and there's been a couple of moments where he's talked people down from suicide yep. and yeah. helped people in ways that you could never imagine in a normal job. We might have the same cameraman because there's a cameraman from Brian and Bobby who's left the, left the media industry to join the police as really? well. Yeah, um, yeah, it was just that thing and also that thing of you never knew what was going to happen uh, at any stage during the day. You used to get 
I used to listen to my friends and they'd just left university and they were junior accountants or there was something else and what's it like? Oh, the office isn't too bad. Oh, we've got a couple of dicks, you know, on this floor, but blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's not too bad. The, you know, the partner's a bit grumpy sometimes and I was just like, yeah, it's not for me. Um, but yeah, it's just that thing and I think for me, the real big thing was being able to help people as well. That's, yeah, the biggie, yeah. yeah nice. How do you compartmentalise the bad days? Because I know you'd have bad days just like us. We cover the really raw and intense and bad underbelly of society. How do you deal with those days? Uh, talking to people about it. Although I have to admit when I was first in the job it used to be, hey, let me tell you a great story when I was at a party and then watch everybody's face go green as I was telling them about something I'd been to and it took me probably about 18 months before I realised actually what I'm seeing is not normal mm. um, it's to use a line from Copland world's, one of the world's best police TV programmes we have got a ringside seat to the best show on earth and we get to do it day after day after day and we're quite lucky in that perspective but I guess what I do is I listen to lots of loud music when I'm away uh, I do stuff that's a bit random. Like I've, I know that some of the people in the police who I work with look at me and go, wow, uh, okay, yeah, he's doing something different. Like I love to read comic books, for instance, uh, that type of stuff. So yeah, so doing different stuff. And if I really need to, I'll find somebody that I can talk to. I've got lots of friends who are police officers overseas um, and vice versa. So we'll talk about stuff. And it, how do I put this nicely? It doesn't re really mean anything to them but it means something to me um, yeah so that's yeah that's how I get away with it touch wood yeah it's so funny that you say that about sharing stories at parties or just talking to friends and it's so normal to you because it's kind of the same with news yeah. and journalism you yeah. kind of go to work you do these crazy things and then you're speaking to people about them as if it's normal and we always joke about this in the newsroom like oh my gosh if this place was bugged yeah you know yeah. people would be shocked yeah yeah and it's not um it's nothing horrible or anything else but um, as you well know, you know, you develop a fairly good sense of humour to cope with some of the stuff that you see. And the stuff that we see, um, Junos, media, military, all that type of stuff, it's not normal. Um, and you have to have a good coping mechanism. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, how long have you been in office now? You obviously started when you were 26. And what motivates you oh, to stay stop one? it. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Tell me how old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in August, I'll send you an invite, but in August I turned 50. Happy uh, birthday. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. Oh, no, that wasn't during level three lockdown. No, right? it wasn't. This coming August. Oh, this coming August. Phew. Um, yeah, Sorry, so I'll yeah. See you at the party. Yeah, you will. You yeah. can do the thumb thing. Yeah, uh, I'll do the, the thumb the thing. Yeah. yeah, actually, I'm, I'm after somebody wear a pedal pop suit, just quietly. <laughs> um, yeah, um, so yeah, um, I will be 24, I guess 25 years in the police then. Um, yeah, I just love it. And I still love it even now. I mean, uh, it's quite it, scary because when I go to, I talk to the, uh, the prospective recruits sometimes and I'll say to them, you know, I was a police officer before Google was invented. <laughs> scary. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Or email or something else like that. And, um, you know, I talk to them about different things. And I can see sometimes they're looking at me going, what? Um, but that's okay. Um, but I love it. It's a great job. And I think, to be fair, uh, sorry, Commissioner Costa, and I know Andy because I used to work with him mm -hmm. in Margaret. I'm probably going to be here for a few more years. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. That's so funny that you say that about how you started policing before Google came around because I've had conversations with so many of our well-established producers and reporters and it's the same thing. They've been journos before Google, before Facebook. I was, I became a journalist probably when social media was starting to take off. Um, what's the difference in policing from then and now? How different Ooh. are things didn't, didn't have email. Uh, obviously, we used to have things called switch messages, which sound archaic, but they, and they kind of were. Um, so you'd send switch messages to other stations. Everything used to be on paper, pretty much. Um, and things used to be a lot, lot slower. So, for instance, if I had stopped you back in the day and said to you, can I see your driver's license, please? The old paper driver's license, you probably can't even remember those either. <laughs> yeah, right. No photo on it. Wow. So, you know... Okay, I'm Willamina Shrimpton. You could have been Sasha McNeil, Mel Chan Davies, Samantha Hayes. I wouldn't have known any different. And you, I think you got a little bit better at talking and trying to establish people's identities, but now it's a lot, lot easier to do. So, yeah, it's um, a lot more mobile, a lot more sort of technology-driven, and it's great because we can do a lot of the stuff that we used to go have to go back into the office and do. 
not anymore. So, mm. yeah. Have you ever had a day where you want to throw in the towel? Call it a day. This is too much. Mm, sometimes when I have to deal with kids' deaths, uh, you go to a death that's not particularly... I'm not going to say nice because there's no such thing as a nice death. Um, although, in certain circumstances, I guess. Um, or you go to a car accident and... I mean, you have seen all the adverts. You've probably seen them. Uh, I talk to kids about it now from the age of three. Please wear your seatbelt. Please wear your seatbelt. And you go somewhere and somebody's parent or son or daughter has died simply because of the fact that they have not worn a seatbelt. And you just sit there and just go, what more can I do? I am banging my head up against a brick wall here. Please just do it. So yeah, sometimes it gets frustrating, but then other times you'll get people come up to you and they will say, hey, uh, I've done this or that, and it's because of something that you've said or something you've done, and you go, did I even say that? I'm like, I must have. Awesome. So you've changed somebody's life in that way, I guess. Mm. Yeah. You would often see the darker parts of society, mm-hmm. I'm sure, and the, the sort of underbelly of New Zealand. Um, is it hard seeing that, and does it kind of put a dampener on, on your faith in humanity at times? Go on, or... <laughs> or, or do you realise that it could potentially just be a minority and, and that's not a true representation of of, of majority of Kiwis? Yeah, um, you do see the darker side of humanity. Um, domestic violence in particular is horrible. Um, but then you see the other side of life and you see some amazing things where people do just some um, incredible things. Like when I was working out in Counties Manukau, people and families who had next to no money um, taking people in because they had nowhere to live or giving them food or that type of stuff and you actually go oh you know what I could be doing a lot more than what I'm doing Um, and I'm complaining because I see the dark side of life every now and then look at what these guys are doing they're amazing so yeah so definitely I haven't lost my faith in humanity in fact I think probably more than anything it's actually increased yeah there you go good yeah it is a good thing yeah yeah, yeah. definitely in a role like this you could you could have a, a string of really bad call outs and yeah chip away yeah yeah but you've just got to remember the police only see a very small percentage of the population and we see people at their worst times times when they've made silly mistakes times when they've done something wrong um and look let's be honest most of us if i go around a, a room and say who's called the police in this room there'll be a few people there but not many and that's that's not a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. Most memorable moment in your career so far. Mm-mm. I know that's a very hard. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, let me think. Um, I'll give you a funny story. So I'm at the ART Centre with my partner for the night. We are there doing guard duty for Prince Charles, who's there doing the Prince of Wales Trust thing. And I can see my partner, who um, was a female sergeant, about your height. Um, and all of a sudden her eyes go as big as saucers and I'm standing with my back to the door and I'm thinking oh no this is going to hurt because either somebody's coming up behind me or this is really bad or something so I turn around and there's Sir Edmund Hillary standing right beside me and he says oh excuse me officer and I said yes Sir Edmund and he said well you can stop with that Sir Edmund thing I said okay Sir Edmund and he just smiled um, and he was with his wife and he said could I ask you a favour I said by all means Sir Edmund he said can you see if the prince is looking this way, please? Which I found kind of humorous because I'm like three foot nothing and he's like eight foot ten yeah. in the shade. Well, it was. So I was sort of like, um, no, I don't think he's looking this way. Can I ask why? And he said, because I'm getting far too old for this type of luck. He said, I just want to go home and have a cup of tea. And he said, I've shaken everybody's hands. And I said, cool. I said, well, yeah, no, he's not looking. So I said, you're safe to make your gap. And he's like, great. And I said, could I ask you a favor? And he said, yeah. I said, can I shake you by the hand? He said, by all means. So I shook him by the hand. And he said, oh, and by the way, officer, I said, never saw you come this way, Sir Edmund. He's like, thank you very much. And off the title, yeah. So that was that was good. Yeah, and you get lots of good moments like that. Um, boarding the planes on 9-11, that was another, another one. I remember you talking about that yeah. last Yeah, um, so that was kind of, that was surreal because the world, everybody, I mean, I know that when you spoke about it, you said that you were at school and your mum was watching TV and she was just shell-shocked. And that was what it was like. We got a phone call um, early in the morning. And at that stage, to be fair, nobody knew if there were bombs on board every single American plane or not. Nobody knew what was happening. 
um, and only the pilots that were flying the planes in and out of New Zealand knew what was actually going on. So none of the cabin crew knew what was going on. So we had to go and get the necessary required bits of equipment and go on board the planes and then tell those passengers. But just to give you some idea, we talk about humanity and seeing the good side and everything else. So people go into shock when they hear those types of announcements, as you would do. And obviously lots of those passengers on those planes were American. So the chief purser, I think it was a United flight, says to me, I said to him, I need to scan every passenger that's coming off. He goes, but that's fine, but I need to um, say goodbye to everybody and just sort of say that they're okay. So we've got counselling services outside. He said, yeah, but part of our service delivery is that I must say goodbye to the passengers when they go. I said, that's fine. I said, now, I just get you to look at my hip. And he said, yes. And I said, can you see what's on my hip? And he said, it's a gun, sir. And I said, right. So I said, so if I see something suspicious and you're in front of me, I said, guess who I'll be shooting through? And he's like... I'll just stand off to the side, shall I? <laughs> yeah, great. And we both had a great laugh about it. But in a moment like that, you can still have a laugh and a chuckle and see the good side. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. Nice. Like the fact that you see the positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got to, yep. Definitely. Um, now, I see you from the outside. I'm sure a lot of people will look from the outside in at your social media and what you're doing, um, often with Brian and Bobby. And it seems like your schedule is already so full of all these amazing things, but mm-hmm. you're actually out on the beat like a regular officer doing regular shifts. Like, what is your normal work? Uh, so like? normally I work Monday to Friday, um, but that said, something like COVID happens. Mm. Uh, this time last year, um, I was partnered with a single partner, and we, him and I were partnered together for six weeks, and at that stage we were actually going to people's homes, making sure that they were isolating, and actually, believe it or not, um, sometimes actually talking to people who may might have had COVID or might not have had COVID because in those days I think we had 74 or 80 cases mm. um, so yeah so we were busy going around so yeah so th- again that's the beauty of policing it can flip on its head I can be talking to a classroom of kids and the next thing you know I can be involved at a search warrant yeah mm. so yeah it's yeah. variety is the spice of life yeah it's like I said it's the ringside seat to the greatest show yeah. on earth yeah yeah Keep it extra spicy with that variety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Now, how did you start Brian and Bobby and why? Uh, again, you're far too young, but there used to be a man on TV called Constable Keith and Sniff. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was in South Auckland, I took the community constable's job for Otahu. I had lots of school teachers coming up to me saying, what happened to Constable Keith and Sniff? And I thought, huh, okay. There's got to be something in this because nobody has asked me, again, apologies Commissioner Costa, um, nobody has asked me what's happened to Commissioner Doon or Commissioner Robinson or Commissioner Marshall. They're more interested in this constable who had a talking dog. So I was the ambassador for Kids First Hospital um, and I happened to organise for Susie Cato to come to one of those Christmas parties um, and her and I got talking and I sort of said it's a shame that we don't have that anymore and she said oh the reason you haven't is because nobody wants to do it well that's great um I didn't join the police to talk to a dog uh and I joined the police to become well because I wanted to be a hard-nosed detective and (laughs) solve crimes and everything else yeah yeah and if I'd said to them as I was recruited I'd like to talk to a police dog they probably would have looked at me and said there's the door um yeah so anyway so Susie and I sort of hatched a plan and I sort of said look can we give it a go? And she said, yeah, by all means. So we got a dog, um, and at that stage, the dog said nothing. It just nodded its head. I went down to the Waikato. Like yeah, literally, no, yeah. No, yeah. No, no, vocals, yeah. No, yeah, no vocals, <laughs> yes, no, and a confused look. And that was just me. Um, and then, um, so we went down to the Waikato. I think we visited about seven or eight schools. At the end of the show, I said to the kids, hey, if you think it's been good fun, you'd like to see more of Brian and Bobby, drop us a line write us a letter, we have to reply, we're duty bound to reply, cool. I got back, I think about two weeks later, I rang up Susie Cato and went, uh, I've got a bit of a problem here, she said, what's the problem? I said, I've got like five and a half thousand letters from these kids, Aww. and I've got to answer them all, she says, well, best you know how to spell your name properly then, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it, but, um, and it took off from there. So yeah, so we've done live shows, we've taught every primary school from north to south pretty much, I think the only places that we haven't been are... Uh, the Chatham Islands and Stewart Island, uh, which is great. Um, so we've seen over 2 million kids. There's been over 76 episodes. We still have a radio show pop up every now and then. Yeah, that's great. And it's coming up to like 20 years old soon as well. 
<clears throat> yeah, I know. Oh, no. Stop it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. 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 Iconish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're an icon. Yeah. Something Give me like that. Icon. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, would you let your kids join the force? Now you have. I have a little son. boy. Yep. Um, if he wanted to, fine. I, my attitude with um, kids is let them do whatever they want to do, as long as obviously it's legal. Um, just let them do it. Um, you look at stuff like. Billy Elliot, for instance, you know, who says that a boy can't be a ballerina? Uh, we don't all have to play rugby. I did, yep, by all means, but um, particularly doing, I'm not going to say, well, a fringe sort of activity like jiu-jitsu. I mean, I say jiu-jitsu to some people, I can see them going, uh, <laughs> what is that? Yeah, okay, that's like some type of spaghetti cooking competition. Yeah, that's it. That's cool. Um, whatever makes you happy. So, you know, um, if he wants to be an accountant, fine. If he wants to be an engineer, all good. It's up to him as long as he's happy. Yep. Sorry, carry on. Just watching the car behind me get closer and closer. Oh my goodness. Yep. Um, now tell me about your son, and you've gone through a pretty special journey. Uh, yeah, so my little guy, our little guy, um, he's a foster boy. Um, my wife and I weren't able to have kids, so we um, went through the route of adoption and fostering. Um, which I would recommend to anybody. If you've got a loving home, there are plenty of kids that need a really good home. Um, and he's been with us since he was about 16 months old, and he turned seven next week. So yeah, uh, and it's been an absolute. I won't be, I won't be completely uh, untruthful about it. There have been times when I've been on shift work and I get data, data, data coming down the hallway, um, but and I'm trying to sleep. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's um, it's definitely something I'd recommend. It's and it's a, I'm not going to say it's a different type of parenting, but it is interesting seeing other people's reactions to it when you say, oh, yeah, I'm a foster parent, and they're like, oh wow, I've read about people like you. You're just amazing. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just like an every other dad. It's not sort of, yeah, it's not like a a holier than the holy thing. It's there are lots of amazing foster parents. One. I got my medal uh, then at um, Government House, for instance, there was a lady there who had fostered 92 children. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, you know, and the difference she's made for New Zealand in general by looking after those 92 kids. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's our journey, I guess. And because it's definitely a topic that I feel like um, people speak about more openly at the moment, um, people who have rough fertility journeys. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And yep. They run out of options, and yeah, um, they're and not really sure what to do. No, and you see people, and they get caught in this web of we just one more try, just one more try, just one more try, um, and people who also um, like I didn't realise until we did all this big thing of that whole thing of um, the number of women that have miscarriages, mm. but yet it's like a secret society. You guys don't tell anybody, and I understand why you possibly wouldn't want to tell people, but just talking to people makes things so much better and you actually all of a sudden then find out that there's all these kindred spirits around you who go yeah that's me too that's me as well so yeah so it's um it's definitely something that i think if you start talking to your friends about it you'll actually find they may have actually been through that journey already and they can or still can help you deal with it yeah so when was the moment that you both as a couple decided okay we need to do something different and when did you know that Ooh. adoption was for you? I think my wife sort of said pretty much I'm done um, which I completely respected um, and yeah it's and then I think from that moment she was like what about this and I was like yeah let's give it a shot um, and that's what happened so we went down the process and um, did lots of interesting training sessions and different bits and pieces and yeah it was it was an interesting journey that's for sure what's the process like is it quite an intense because when i was reading that article you sent me even you had to get vetted yeah yeah, police officer yeah. i still and people find this funny as a police officer that goes into schools i still have to get vetted to be uh okay to be around kids if you know what i mean yeah, yeah. um yeah so it, it's changed a little bit obviously but there were a number of training days there were visits from social workers and everything else just basically looking at our home life what we were like as a couple what we did that type of stuff and then um, after that uh, basically what happens is you have to come up with a profile so that parents who 
uh, either pulling their kids up for adoption or maybe they want them fostered out, actually look through your profile to sort of see what couple you are. And as you can imagine, that's, that's a really, really hard thing for them to do um, and trust somebody by looking at a book mm. to your kid. But then you, obviously you get to meet um, the birth parents and we're really lucky. Our guy has got some amazing birth parents. We all know that we're there to do the very best for him. And yeah, so you still it. keep in touch with yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see them yeah, three or four times a year and oh, wow. everything else. Yeah, so it's really cool. It's a, a really, really nice uh, atmosphere. There's no animosity to anybody. Yeah, it's great. Nice, yeah. nice. Everybody wants what's best for him. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm steering the topic into something. <laughs> <laughs> something Here's my segue. Yeah, whoop, yeah. oops, getting off yeah. the road. Um, have you? Oh no, sorry. Permanently arming police. Here we go. We're, we're oh, diving yeah. into a, a very serious topic right now. Um, um, it's a hot topic. It's one that's often discussed mm -hmm. in the media every time there is an incident involving mm -hmm. firearms. Um, are you for or against it? Okay, so bearing in mind that I had two friends die last year via firearms, um, Matt Hunt and Matt Ratner, there is a part of me that says yes, but then there's also another part of me that says, let's look at other countries overseas without mentioning any names, and let's look at all the problems that firearms cause. Guns are only made for one purpose, mm. um, and because they're only made for one purpose, we have to accept what that purpose is. I the New Zealand police officer in me says, no, because we go overseas and I talk to other police officers and they're like, you don't have guns? I'm like, nope. And I think we're smarter because of the fact that we don't have guns, because we know um, how and why to do things a little bit differently from our other colleagues overseas who their first reaction is, pull this out. Mm. Um, and I'd say, so, yeah, so I would, I'm still erring on the caution side and I would say no at this stage. Mm. I suppose if it's there, it makes it more readily available and more yeah. accessible. Yep, yeah. And, you know, and there's also that thing of, this is my uh, first option, and it will become your first option. Make no mistake about it. It's, you know, it's a little bit like you. If you, I give you the choice for the news, I say to you, right, we've got um, a, prince, a royal princess who has decided that she wants to divorce somebody, a kid in Tikawata who can only eat yellow jelly beans and you know a seal that um has gotten loose in napier it's obvious which which one you're going to lead with the jelly beans yeah exactly obviously. yeah 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 you've been on you've late been night surprised. yeah you've been on late night news too long yeah um yeah um yeah so uh, yeah definitely no at this stage have you ever used your taser L lots of times um so i is it true just quickly yep. when you guys are training and I remember this from a story way, way back and one of my colleagues was doing something about tasers and that you, when you're training, you hold your hand up and say, taser, taser, taser. Mm -hmm. It is? Okay, cool. Yeah, so you can, um, the whole idea being so that if you see that, you're a member of public and you see that, you realise I'm not shooting somebody, mm. I'm tasering them. Mm. Uh, by the same token, that person also knows what's happening to them. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a self-defence mechanism for everybody because mm. I'm announcing this thing and I'm going, taser, taser, taser. We all know what it is. All the other officers around me know, don't go in there because that guy's getting, or yeah. girl is getting tasered. So yeah, um, I've used my taser lots of times, primarily because I used to be a taser instructor. Uh, <laughs> primarily because when we first started doing taser, we used to do this thing of, uh, if there's any officers in the room who want to be tasered, put up your hand and be tasered. Uh, so of course we had to taser the Did police officers. Yeah, I've been tasered. It's not good fun. Yeah, uh, what's it like? Shocking. No. Uh, ah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that that speaks. Yeah. 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 Fun. yeah exactly. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it's yeah. It's uh, yeah. I have used my taser quite a bit. Um, in fact, but the last time I used it, it didn't work. So there you go. And it wasn't uh, the taser's fault. It was mine. It was just a bad shot. Oh. Okay. So yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's um. What is it that they say about a bad carpenter always blaming his? Oh tools? yeah, no, no, it definitely wasn't. It definitely was not my tools. It was me. Uh yeah. So, but um, yeah, it's it's not a pleasant experience. Let's put it that way. Yeah, mm, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, body worn cameras. Oh yeah. Another hottish privacy topic. For or against, and why? Okay, so talking to my friends who are in Canada and America that have recently had body worn cameras introduced, they love them. Because then everybody gets to see what we see. Um, and then they also get to see possibly, okay, we haven't made this stuff up. Or, wow, 
that's what really does happen. And, um, of course, what they're finding in a lot of provinces and states is a lot of their prosecution rates are beginning to drop because defence lawyers are looking at the camera footage and going, yeah, no, I'm sorry, Wilhelmina, you're, you're sunk on that one. There's really nothing you can do on that one. Um, so, yes, I'm well and truly for it. And, look, to be fair, uh, all the police officers I've ever worked with uh, have been consummate professionals and I've seen some situations where I've gone man if that was me I'd be losing my control now and I think I'm pretty relaxed but they're still you know I've seen police officers being called all sorts of horrible names everything from Uncle Tom's to a traitor's to your people mm. uh, to various body and anatomical references yes um, you know and we're not talking just sort of in a quiet situation we're talking in front of three or four hundred people um, and they have just kept looking forward and made, doing their duty so yeah but. how do you deal with hecklers like that because I mean you obviously whatever anyone says to you guys is 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 horrible and we we sometimes get heckled out in the field yeah you do vultures yeah you're disgusting journalists yep. get away from me so I understand the heckling but I know that for you guys it would be often so much worse how do you deal with that I always deal with it with the f- by the means of this person's not having a very good day. They're looking for somebody to vent at. Mm. I'm that person. I decided I was going to put the suit on today, uh, and you know they're having a bad day, so I've just become their focal point. That's fine, um, and it's quite weird because sometimes we can go to incidences, and it might be two parties having an argument, and they're quite angry at one another, and then all of a sudden you get there, and it's like. Oh, hang on, now I've got two people giving me a bit of grief because I've just shown up to help them out. That's fine. It is what it is. Mm. Uh, like you do on the news, you know, just got to remain professional and get on with your job. Mm. Yeah. So. And how do you deal with things like social media? Because I know that more often than not, when police officers are called out to incidents, people always have their phones out and then people post videos and make claims about things that have happened yep how do you deal with that knowing that you're always being watched you're you're always under surveillance essentially and you talk about the body camera thing yeah everyone always has their phones out yeah i'm lucky um because if i see somebody filming me oh i don't as you know i'm not afraid of cameras because i've been in front of them plenty of times (laughs) so i very often walk up to somebody and say would you like a selfie and they're like no i'm filming what you're doing and i'm like Okay, cool. Why is that? And they're like, because I want to make sure that, you know. And I'm like, well, hang on for a second. It's like, yeah, I said, I'll give you my business card. So that way you've got my name and number and everything else. Yep. I said, you can just contact me if you think something's good. And I said, if you're not happy with that. And I went, yeah, I said, then, and you still want to know who I am. I said, here's my website address, www.brianandbobby.co.nz on the back. Go and have a look at that. And you'll definitely be able to see who, who it is. And they're like, oh, okay, then cool. And I'm like, yeah, so it's just that thing of trust. It's just a different level of trust. And we always talk about trust and confidence in the police. Um, and that is, I think, one of those things. Social media just is a different type of trust, if you know what I mean. I mean, and you know this, um, you will meet somebody and they're not very accommodating, shall we say. So you walk away and go, oh, that sports team or that band, whatever. Um, but if you meet somebody and they're really accommodating, you'll always go, away, what a great person, they were awesome done and it's the same with the place so that's what we have to do every time is we have to deliver the very best that we can do every time sound like a corporate message there don't i but i'm just saying that <laughs> that's what we have to achieve that's that for me that's what we have to achieve as police officers is to do the very best that we can every time and the public have to be aware that sometimes uh best is going to fall short but we that's the way we learn much like you guys you know um somebody does something funny on your auto queue see i, I was looking at your instagram last week um you know you go, okay, funny, can we change that now, next yeah. time? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just about learning from the lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you say New Zealand policing compares to overseas? Because from a media perspective, we often look at major events. And in terms of the speed at which people are, you know, victims are talking and, and um, people are fronting and the, I guess the proximity at which media can get to a certain scene it's it blows my mind particularly america and australia yeah um how would you say policing in new zealand compares to overseas um i think we're lucky because we still have that thing 
that Robert Peel spoke about, who's the founding father of policing, you know, the public of the police and the, the police of the public. And we still have that sense. Look at how well we did during COVID lockdown. Mm. Other countries have looked at us and gone, how did you do that? Like, you know, and how many arrests did you make to get people locked down in their houses? It's like, not that many because people are really good about it and they know that we're part of a team and that's what we do is for New Zealanders. And so, yeah, I think um, like Fred Dagg, John Clark used to say, we don't know how lucky we are. Um, not with regards to just our policing, but New Zealand in general, we are an amazing country. We have some amazing people, um, firefighters, first responders, doctors, nurses, you know, all going out. Like I had a friend of mine, a guest who was a plastic surgeon on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. She was literally going to be going from a private practice as, as in the head of department of plastic surgery to possibly an ED doctor when COVID hit because that's how things were going to happen. Didn't quiver, didn't shake, didn't just went, yeah, let's get the job done. So I think, yeah. Um, and part of the beauty of the New Zealand police is because where we are, we're really good at doing that number eight wire mentality thing of, uh, okay, we don't have uh, an armoured personnel carrier like they've got in Las Vegas. How can we do this? Well, let's do it this way. Mm. Um, and it's much more friendly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been to places in the States where I've have been holding police patches to give to police officers and still they're looking at me like, what do you want? Who are you? Where are you from? Yeah. Um, and I've given them the patches and said, hey, have a great day. And they're like, yeah, cool. And I'm like, yeah, that's not mm. the police I don't want to be a part of. No. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Um, you're obviously on the beat every day. How do you think crime is going in New Zealand, are things better, or do you think they're worse? Look at those COVID figures. They're great. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's changed. Um, it's changed a lot since I started because obviously there was no um, offences against the Digital Communications Act and that mm. type of stuff. So yeah. it's changing. Um, crime is a really a neat thing when you look at it like that because it always evolves. So you look at something like Peaky Blinders, for instance, which everybody's seen, and how those guys do different stuff, and you go, oh yeah, okay, they're cool. Um, like horse wrestling and that type of stuff we don't have that as a crime anymore but we still have stolen cars and everything else so it's yeah it's always changing and it's um it's always kind of neat to have a look at some of the trends and patterns but i think generally on a whole um i think a lot more people are getting it in new zealand and again i go back to covid just the fact that we managed to have that lockdown things are still decreasing crime wise because lots of people are staying at home doing the work so burglaries are going down that type of stuff so yeah it's again you can't we can't do this on our own it's actually what well, our catchphrase is safer communities together and it is yeah mm. it really is because if we yeah we, we can't do this on our own yeah do you think that the type of crime whether or not overall crime has decreased but i guess in terms of the level of violence Ooh. has gotten worse and i only say this because I've been covering parts of this with the Red Fox Tavern trial, you know, the mm -hmm, case mm -hmm. that's, you know, been part of the media for many, many years. Yep. And it's been interesting sitting in that trial and it was an armed robbery and really shocking nonetheless. But when you compare it to some of the other trials that I've covered, it was a, a break in, there was a shooting and then they left. And then I'm hearing some details of different trials, which are just so grim shocking tragic yep and it's it's crazy to think that that now doesn't seem so bad because we've become so desensitized yep okay so um years ago there was a man called i'm going to flip this on its head uh there was a man called arthur c clark who was one of the people that was responsible for inventing satellites um amongst other things and he wrote this amazing book called The View from Serendipity. And in it, he said, he was talking about satellites being the ultimate form of communication, which we kind of know they are, but it's more the internet, to be fair. And he actually said, once all these satellites are up in the skies and we can get stuff beamed from Moscow to uh, Thai Happy in a heartbeat, what will actually end up happening is censorship will go um, for media outlets and everything else. And we'll get news stories like that, mm. as opposed to... I mean, um, you'll know, because um, I know that you're a keen history buff, but you know those old media films that they used to show in the cinemas before yeah. 
show, yeah, you know, it's like the Princess Royals come on a tour to Australia and everybody's like, yeah, and the children are like, congratulations, your Royal Highness. Um, that type of stuff. But And now we don't, we don't have to do that because it's there straight away. Um, if you go for a walk along Devonport Waterfront, uh, and this is that you go, where are you going with this point? Um, you'll actually see there's a very small plaque there that says this is the site of the last public execution in New Zealand. Go and have a look at the crime that was committed. Mm. If that happened today, it would still make the front page of the Herald. You would still be reporting about it uh, for probably three, four weeks because it was that horrific. So I don't think the crime, um, some of the more violent crime has gotten more violent. I just think the fact that we know about it straight away has happened. Like Back in the 50s and the 60s, if somebody had been murdered down in Christchurch, for instance, we might not have heard about it for a day or two, whereas now Amanda Gillies is right there talking about it right outside the house, or you're right out there, and it's like, boom, okay, wow. So yeah, so there's no let-up uh, with, the, with the censorship or the media reporting, and that's a good thing because you guys are doing your jobs as well. But we just don't have that delay, and we don't have that... Um, I'm not going to say it was enforced censorship, but you know, a lot of the news editors in the day were like, there's been a woman who's been tragically um, attacked uh, in Auckland, and that was it, and it's like, well, that's not very helpful, but now we'll actually know the location, what's going, yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 In journalism, we have a very grim term known as the death knock, where we approach victims of crime or family members of someone who has died mm-hmm. um, from tragedy. Um, it's never a nice situation, but if someone does let you in, it's a massive privilege and the fact that they've been brave enough to speak to us and open up. When we do that, they often already know about the loss of their loved one. Mm-hmm. But have you ever had to deliver the news about someone's passing to a family and how do you deal with that? Because that's <laughs> full on. Plenty of times. I've even done it on Christmas Day. Oh. Uh, so, yeah... In the police, we kind of call it the long walk. Um, it's one of those things. You can't beat about around the bush with it. You can't make it any better. Um, if I was to come and see you at your house and say, I'm sorry, well, I mean, your auntie has passed away. I have to be polite. I have to be professional. And I have to get kind of straight to the point. I can't sort of like, hello, how are you? Are you having a nice day? Um, would you like to come inside with me and have a cup of tea? Because you'll know. Um, it's like most people say, if there's a police officer on your door, there's either trouble or death. Um, yeah. Um, so it's that thing of you have to be uh, empathetic. And you. I always think to myself, if I was the other person, how would I want this police officer to tell me that one of my loved ones has passed away? So that's the way that I always deal with it. Is, and, and once I do that, I normally make sure that the person's okay and that we've got wraparound support services for them, victim support and everything else. But yeah, it is, it is quite hard and it's when you get back to the car, um, sometimes you're on your own, sometimes you're with a partner. It's, yeah, a very big sort of sigh and, okay, give myself a couple of minutes and away we go again. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, it must be so tough. Yeah. yeah, like I said, more often than not, they like already know. people, they already know. Yeah. I couldn't imagine yep. telling someone. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, very often we will knock on a door and we'll get people see us and then they start screaming on the other side of the door because they know something's happened somewhere mm. yep so yeah mm. just one of those unfortunate things of the job i guess yeah. Yeah. yeah now a lot of people might not see this but from what i experience on going ride-alongs uh, going for uh, joining you guys on ride-alongs is there's actually a lot of paperwork in <laughs> yeah. what you do yep why is there so much and does that just gobble up a lot of time to fight crime uh evidential Chain of evidence. Mm. Everything has to be dotted. Everything has to be crossed. Uh, the lowercase J's have to be dotted. You know, the whole lot. Because mm. if we don't, and somebody uh, commits a crime and they get off on a technicality, or we haven't documented something properly, that's unprofessional. So, yeah, so a lot of it, um, I remember my instructor uh, coming in at college. I walked into his office one day, and he had a file that was probably like, uh, easily like 10 inches high. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, I hope I never get a file that big. And he's like, yeah, all of a sudden Lethal Weapon doesn't look that cool anymore, does it? And I'm like, "Ah." Um, Yeah, so it's just that matter of being professional and actually getting it done so that... And you you also have to remember if 
something happens to that police officer that was there that night, um, or maybe uh, they're ill, or um, they go, you know what, I'm, I'm leaving the police for two years. I'm, there might be a good case for me to go, okay, um, I've just got this file here, Constable Shrimpton, you're dealing with it there. and it's got a nice ring. Yeah, 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 there you go. <laughs> I'll give you a recruitment back. Um, but you know nothing about this incident. You weren't even there. All the facts are there, though. You can see all the pictures and everything else. So, yeah, it's it would be a little bit like me handing over a news story to you and just basically saying, hey, can you... Um, do this and giving you no details. I was just going to say, it's just like getting the handover when you have to go and cover a trial on yeah. the fourth or fifth day. Yeah. And we have a court file which has a breakdown of all the evidence yep. and the witnesses and the crown list and, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it exactly. It's yeah. just that chain. Yeah, so. What gives you the biggest sense of pride? Ooh. As a police officer or just in general? Both. Okay. Uh, biggest sense of pride uh, as a police officer is... Um, this is going to sound really weird, but it's people who go, oh, you're the guy from Brian and Bobby. Because uh, I'm like, that program was designed for like five to ten year olds. Here I am talking to you and you're 23 and you can still remember it. Wicked. Um, yeah, because that's cool. Because that means that you have made an influence or you've done something that they can remember. Uh, and a lot of them remember it as a positive experience, which is a great thing. Um, and that's good for the police as well. Um, me personally, what gives me a lot of pride? I guess just, you know, um, my family gives me a lot of pride. Yeah, just hanging out with the family. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. If you could do life over, would you change anything? And would you still become a police officer? Nano girl. Thanks, Dr. Michelle. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, she did this one and I was like, oh my goodness. Um, no, I would not do anything differently. Uh, would I still be a police officer? Yes, most definitely. Um, yeah, I, I just wouldn't. But, you know, people say to me, oh, you have an awesome job. Yes, I do. Um, you've got an awesome life. Yeah, but just like everybody else, every now and then it has a grey day, um, to be fair. So, you know, um, a bit like when you and I spoke and you said you used to be a really people person and now you like some moments of solitude. I'm exactly the same. And the older I get, the the warmer moments of solitude seem to be getting longer and longer when I can get them with a six-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it's just I quite like the fact of being left in my own space and just being able to read a book or do something. Yeah. So, yeah. And what advice would you give to your twenty-year-old self? Oh, Obviously, that's God. six years before you started yeah, yeah, yeah. knowing what you know now. You know that lovely saying: "If I knew then what I know now, I'd yeah. be able to conquer the world." Don't be in a rush. Yes. Oh, Don't be in a rush. That's yeah. What I, yeah. 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 Um, and sometimes uh, silence is the best form of communication that you can actually have. Because mm. I think sometimes we have that uncomfortable, oh, I'm just going to fill the gap. Um, and it's like, you don't need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That would probably be it. Uh, that and uh, girls probably don't like being invited to parties to watch all black games. As much as everybody else does in the room. Yeah, that would probably be it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're shotting yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that not being in a no. rush one. That's, yeah. that's something yeah. that I yeah. also tell lots of younger journos yeah. is just don't be in a rush. Because no. once you get to a certain point, sometimes you're there for a while. Yeah. So, and yeah, and I need to take my own advice. Yeah, time. exactly. You know, and like, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to get that's good. Like you say, people look at my schedule and go, oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah, there are some days it is crazy, but there are also some days where I'm like, Where's he? He's mm. not on Instagram today. And it's like, no. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, so, yeah mm. take your time. So we've talked about some really deep topics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're now going to sift over to the lighter side. Oh, good. Uh, yep, yeah, nice. Yeah, okay. <laughs> now, the one thing that I really want to know, and this is something that I've um, talked to other police officers and actually um, people who work in, for um, the New Zealand Fire Service, is often when we're out covering a scene mm-hmm. and we're filming you guys at the court in. Mm-hmm. And we end up using that particular vision with you in it. I'm told that if you make it on the news, that you have to do a cake shout. Is that a thing? Is that still a thing? It depends on what station you go to. The fine varies from different stations <laughs> to stations. Uh, let's put it this way. When the first series of Brian and Bobby came out, there were lots of people on my sections rubbing their hands going, we're not going to have to pay for any lunches for the rest of our lives uh, because he's on every day. Um, so I basically, I think I remember bringing like 30 bucks worth of food into the station and going, 
that's it for series one you're done yeah <laughs> uh, yeah and that was it yeah so yeah it sometimes happens um although you will get the odd elusive mongoose who slips through the cordon and sort of says oh no that wasn't me you can't prove it and i have seen uh some police officers going back through footage to see if they can prove it but yeah nice good yep. to know good there you go know. yeah so yeah what's been your most embarrassing moment at work oh most embarrassing moment at work let's think um there's been plenty of them um i'm just trying to think oh maybe getting pepper sprayed by my partner that's always good fun how did that happen uh so i was having a, sc- a scuffle with somebody and um it was just in the days when pepper spray had just first come out and i took this um gentleman to ground and as i took him to the ground i could see i could hear something um for those who've never been in a fight and i hope you haven't well a minute um, a, f- a full-on proper fight. Your senses narrow, right? So sometimes you can hear stuff. Sometimes you can't see stuff. I remember having a fight with somebody one day, and it was in a woman's um, garden. And I can remember literally going, oh, "She's got some amazing flowers in this garden." Mm. As I'm having a scrap with somebody, wow. um, but with this one, it was the fact that um, basically what had ha- what had happened was I. Was t- I took this man to ground. My partner had said spray, but I hadn't heard her because my senses had begun to narrow. And I could see something hitting this gentleman's face and then hitting my face and going, it's not raining. I was trying to sort of compute it as well as sort him out. And then the burn started in my eyes. I'm like, oh, this is not good. So <clears throat> him and I got a ride to the police station in the back seat of the car. Both of us sort of go, oh, my oh, eyes, I can't no. see. Yeah, that's one of them. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> And now you are trained in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I've only just started jiu-jitsu. I did it two years ago. Um, I have got a second arm black belt in Aikido. I'm a Krav Maga instructor, and I've always wanted to do jiu-jitsu. Um, so I thought, let's do it um, at the age of 47, 48. Nice. Yeah, um, it's, been a, it's a huge learning curve because it's a different martial art, so I have to kind of unlearn everything that I've learned. I guess... A nice sort of comparison would be if I pulled you off the TV screen and you'd never ever done any print media, and I went, okay, well, I mean, you're running the lead story tonight on the front of the Herald. You'd be like, oh, um, yeah. So I've had to kind of unlearn everything else. Um, it's on the ground. A lot of it's on the ground, which is stuff that I've never done before. If I have, I've only sort of brushed over it. Um, so yeah, so it's a real big learning curve. I'm really lucky. I've got some great club mates at my club, Coast BJJ. Um, I've got great coaches, I've met some amazing people, um, and everybody's sort of, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, Yeah, it's good, there are some days I sort of limp off the mat, I go home, and as I go to get up off the sofa, sort of an hour or two afterwards, I'm like, Oh, yep. Why can I take up it's like, like any workout though? Yes, any good workout. Yeah. Why can I take up Scrabble instead? Scrabble? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Player. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But it's great. I love it. And it's that's part of my stress release as well. Um and I think we've mentioned before, you know, if I can't breathe because I'm trying to stop somebody choking me out or do some particular jujitsu move, I'm not worried about what's going on at yeah. work. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Has martial arts contributed to your career in the police and to your personal journey in life? Oh, jeepers. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, uh, most definitely. Um, lots of people seem to think that martial arts is all about fighting. It's not um, an actual fact. It's actually about the lack of fighting. If you can resolve something without actually having to do anything physically, you've nailed it. Yeah, and there have been some times where I've done stuff and I've thought, why am I doing it this way? This is really like left field. And then I've gone, because I'm trying to resolve this without actually doing anything. And those are lessons that I've learned from off the mat. The other thing I guess it's taught me is, and you'll love this, is it's the best way to learn a quality better than anything. My very first instructor was a lady who was shorter than I was. I had just seen Steven Seagal in a movie. And I was, sitting, I was literally sitting there with teeth marks in my cheeks. <gasps> teeth marks in my ears and a swollen ear and three broken ribs from rugby my coach had just sort of said to me you might want to look at maybe going to a lower grade because you're getting you're a little bit small now to play with these big 130 behemoths 130 kg behemoths so I went down and I went to an Aikido studio and there's a little lady there and she oh big rugby tough player and I'm like mm. she goes you'll grab and take to mat she was Japanese my Japanese accent's not very good I was like okay cool so I went to grab I couldn't get hold of it Went to get hold of it, couldn't get hold of it, couldn't get hold of it. And since then I've had probably about six or seven different female martial arts instructors and I not once have ever thought of them 
as a female. That's how equality for me works because I've just gone, she's my instructor. Uh, I haven't gone, oh, I have a female instructor. I've just gone, yeah. So and Don't underestimate anyone. Yeah, that's it, yeah. What is your EDC bag and what's inside of it? My EDC bag is what you guys and the journalists sort of industry we call a go bag mm-hmm. um, so one square meal bar some face masks because of covid um my leatherman tool uh, sunglasses my reading glasses because i'm getting old <laughs> uh what else do i have in there um a survival bla- blanket all sort of neatly folded up and a lighter and that's pretty much me i'm good so i can do uh 24 hours 48 hours uh, and a bottle of water obviously mm-hmm. yeah always have a bottle of water in the back of your car Ready to MacGyver your way out of any situation? Oh, I don't know if I go that far, but yeah, just I can... give you a rubber band and a matchstick. Yeah, and yeah, I'm a, a, I'm a hacker. I'm yeah, I'm like <laughs> Mr. T in the A team. I can build you a, a tank out of rubber bands. Yeah. So, how many lipsticks do you have? None. In you? <laughs> not one. Yeah, not one. Uh, although it is funny because very often, as you know, I'll go into Ronald McDonald House for Halloween, and um, I always say to people when they say, "What's your favourite shade of lipstick?" I'll say black or white because I'm a massive KISS fan so I very often go in in full makeup dressed Amazing. as one of the members of KISS yep. nice. uh, what now this is a Canadian cop question what's <laughs> the right way to eat a kiwi dot dot dot, 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 dot fruit. fruit yes we don't eat kiwis they're protected Julian um, kiwi fruit definitely with the skin on golden brown uh, cut the ends off eat the skin There's heaps of vitamins and everything else in there yeah, no, and make it. Skin, your tongue, it's like nah. it's pineapple sometimes as well. It yeah, 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 yeah. But once you get used to it, it's really, really good. And it also means, you know, if you go out to a cafe or something like that and you get one of those, well, I've seen your Instagram account. I'm coming around to your house for breakfast. Um, some of the amazing meals that you make, oh, yeah. you know, when you cut the kiwi fruit mm. and you have to leave the skin on, mm. you don't do that annoying thing of chewing the kiwi fruit and leaving half the skin on or. Cutting the skin off the sort of circular kiwi fruit, you just stick it all in. Yeah. Oh, see that? I can only do that with the tiny wee kiwi berries. Yep. Nice and sweet. There you go, yeah. Yeah. yeah without the little furry bit on the end. Small steps. Yeah, small steps. baby steps. Yep. Baby steps. Yep. Your top three movies of all time. Oh, okay. Um, the Magnificent Seven. My dad raised me on it uh, from the age of about 10 to about 23. And even now, if I get stuck, what am I going to? Oh, The Magnificent Seven. Um, I, I'd like to say Star Wars, but I'm not going to because. I think it's been overdone. Um, so I would say Speed with Keanu Reeves in it. Uh, another Western movie that my dad raised me on called The Wild Bunch. And I'm going to throw in a fourth there, a movie that is incredible. You need to see it. Go onto YouTube. It's called Falling Through. It's got the world's first blind deaf actor in it. Um, and it's based on a true story. You can go onto YouTube. You can see it for free. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, it's nominated for this year at the Oscars uh, for Best Short Film. And after you've seen the movie, because it's only 20 minutes, um, which to be fair, block your ears, is, um, uh, it's only t- because it's only 20 minutes, it's actually uh, quite a nice break to watch. Mm. You know, you don't get any adverts or anything else like that. Um, but go and watch the documentary on the filmmaker afterwards, because it's based on a true story with him encountering a man who was blind and deaf. And he thought, how do I do this? And the most beautiful thing about it is it restores your faith in humanity, because he all of a sudden realises that talking perhaps isn't the way that we all communicate yeah it's really cool awesome. really cool yeah you have to check it out. yeah bring some tissues yeah yeah <laughs> and lastly what are your top three podcasts oh yeah um, the pivot uh, the pivot yeah 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 uh yeah episode one straight to a nice cream shop what the yeah uh yeah um so um i go all over the place with my podcasts um i will listen voraciously to a podcast I'll download like 40 episodes, listen to it for a month, and then go, eh, kind of the same flavour now, I'm over it. Um, I have been listening to The Pivot, no lies, you can see on my phone, it's there. Um, the Mic Drop, which is by an ex-Navy SEAL, which is uh, called Mike Ritland, who's based in the state. he's part of the reason I got into podcasting, because I was like, he's got some cool friends, mm. so have I, and if not, I can make some friends. Um, and then, I guess, there's the stock standard, Joe Rogan's and everything else, but every now and then I find... A podcast that I just go, wow, I'd never ever listen to this. Um, some of the ones that are coming out from America and England are amazing. Um, I listened to a podcast and I can't remember the name of it, but it was by a gentleman who had autism and he was talking about what it was like to be autistic, wow. and that was amazing. Yeah, yeah so. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Very cool. There you go. Well, I believe that is everything. I've made it. That I wanted to ask you, and you survived. You're still in one piece. I am still in one piece. He's unbuckled though. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this has been so lovely listening to your backstory hey. for the first time, rather than you asking me questions. Yeah. So it's it's been a cool experience. Thank you, and thank you for actually going. You know what? I'm mad enough to do this with you. Um, it's, oh, always. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really nice to be able to uh, flip it on its head. Uh, and see what it's like. Like I said to you, as we were driving up here, it has put me in a state of panic this morning because I'm like, I don't even know, so I don't know who I'm dealing with, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I know lots of people will always say to me, who is your favourite podcast guest? Yeah. The answer is the one I've just recorded because I'm really privileged, like you are with yours, to spend some time with some amazing people and you hear their stories. And I mean, like, as you will know, how often has somebody come up to you and said, it's the day of your eulogy, Wilhelmina. Can you tell us what you'd like people to say? Yeah. And I've been really lucky because people have actually shared that with me. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, that's us. Ready? That's awesome. And. Okay, <laughs> yep. Sold. Thanks, man. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.